This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's the old phrase? If you're in a glass house, you'd be wise not to throw stones. What did you think to yourself, looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How anyone could be that irresponsible. Joe Biden seemed truly downcast. He wasn't angry, he was disappointed. Back in September last year, after the FBI had raided Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort to obtain classified documents the former president had kept when he should, by law, have handed them back. But in the last couple of weeks, reports have emerged of classified material from Joe Biden's time as vice president turning up at the Biden residence outside Wilmington, Delaware, and at an office in Washington used after he'd left the Obama administration. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. Last week, Merrick Garland, the man Biden himself picked to serve as attorney general, appointed a special counsel to investigate what happened. Republicans and Fox News commentators like Tucker Carlson here were quick to gloat. And by the way, in this case, the independent counsel is a Republican. Good luck, Joe Biden. Happy 80th birthday. So how serious is all this for Joe Biden? Investigations of past sitting presidents proved a great headache for them. What damage could it do to him? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist for The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. So I actually started working at the Justice Department in uh, mid-2016. and I worked- Anne Kushkar Dori is a lawyer and contributing editor for New York Magazine, as well as a contributing writer for Politico. Before that, he was a federal prosecutor at the U.S. Justice Department, brought in before Donald Trump entered the White House and leaving that role in early 2020. It was a strange time, admittedly, to be at the Justice Department. You know, I was on the job, you know, when Election Day happened and a lot of people were outwardly distraught that Donald Trump had won and a lot of people were disoriented. For the most part, you know, the day-to-day did not change that much for people like me in in the particular area I was in. But it was a, uh, what I would say was like a pretty dysfunctional department, actually, particularly at the management level and particularly in ways I think that were not entirely visible to the public. All right, let's talk about where we are now. Um, You're outside the Justice Department, you're observing this now as a 
journalist and commentator, these headlines in which Joe Biden is accused of, and of course there are going to be differences, but accused of the very thing that Donald Trump stands accused of, namely hoarding documents that don't belong to him, this must be, the for Joe Biden, exactly the news he did not want to read. Yeah, it's, I have to say, e- even as someone who follows and enjoys political news and have done so for my whole life, I have never seen anything like this, a turn of events quite as strange, bizarre and ironic as this. Obviously, you're right. And people have been observing, you know, since last week that there are potential significant differences and all that. But the core thing, you're right, is essentially the same, potentially inappropriately removing documents, classified documents from the White House. The scale of it and the potential obstruction, obviously that at the moment appears quite different, but it's still you know early stages and we kind of have to see how it plays out. So let's get into the detail of this because it's unfolded over a period of weeks. The US Justice Department is reviewing classified documents dating from Joe Biden's time as US Vice President, which have been found in an office building near the White House. They were discovered in a locked cupboard during a clear-out of a Washington think tank. In November, Joe Biden's personal lawyers say they found documents bearing those markings that indicate a document is highly sensitive, classified at a think tank in Washington with links to Joe Biden. And and these documents hailed from Joe Biden's time as vice president in the Obama administration. Now, just on one small point about the timing there, you know, the Fox News crew have really jumped on the fact that these documents were found on November the 4th, which was, I think, four days before the midterm elections. How many in this audience clap if you agree they should have let the American people know? Do you agree with that? What's your view just on that narrow point of timing? I have to say, I don't think it holds much water. Based on what we know now, right, what was disclosed to the department was not even necessarily a crime. Obviously, the underlying thing you have to, it raises obvious questions about was something inappropriately removed. But this was a voluntary disclosure, it appears, from Biden's lawyers to the department, small number of material. It hadn't yet turned out to be the case that there would be more uh, documents found. So honestly, uh, the talking point, as you've said, that has been banned about in the conservative media, that this somehow should have been disclosed earlier to the public, I don't find it uh, very persuasive. And I think it's just an effort to make as much political hay out of this as possible. That would certainly be plausible in Washington, D.C. But just that the interesting point about it wasn't necessarily a crime. So just clarify for us, it, it, you're saying that it's not automatically criminal to walk off with some documents from your time in high office without handing them in. It, it depends on other circumstances, does it? Yeah. For, I mean, to commit a crime, you have to have some form of criminal intent, awareness of the inappropriateness of what you are doing. Now, in the classified legal setting, there's a whole host of laws, including some laws that seem to suggest that a very low level of intent may be sufficient, that it's something uh, like gross negligence. So you do need some indication that there was uh, an intentional wrongdoing on the part of the person at issue. And by the way, you know, at that time, you know, Biden's lawyers and the Justice Department, they may not even know known how those documents got there, who packed them, whether Biden even had been involved in preparing them. All of these questions are worth answering. Certainly nothing that anybody should have just breezed by. But the idea that it was obvious at that moment that this should become a huge political scandal and a huge legal problem for Biden, I'm just not persuaded. 
Right. And relevant to that that case, the case that I think Biden's lawyers will make is that, yes, first of all, they sent the documents right away to the National Archives, which is what you're meant to do. And they referred the matter themselves voluntarily disclosed to the Justice Department. But you went to, to that point about criminal intent. And so what was in the mind of Joe Biden himself? Here we have Joe Biden giving his reaction to it and expressing that he was surprised to find out about them. And we can hear that. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. So Joe Biden telling reporters, you know, we are cooperating fully with the review, which I hope will be finished soon. Joe Biden's problems, though, if they had just remained confined to what that first sort of cache of documents contained, maybe fine. But a day later, January the 11th, there were reports of a second batch of classified materials. President Biden confirmed to reporters yesterday that documents marked classified were found in a locked garage at his home in Wilmington, Delaware. Yes, as well as my Corvette. And this uh, second batch did come with some rather juicy details attached that, of course, uh, the Washington Press Corps could not help but latch onto because it turns out these documents weren't found uh, in, you know, a locked cupboard in an old office. They were found right close to Joe Biden's prized Corvette car in a locked garage at his home in Delaware, which did, of course, get people wondering why on earth he would have kept them there. Uh, And by the next day, Merrick Garland had appointed a a special counsel to investigate the whole matter. Earlier today, I I signed an order appointing Robert Herr a special counsel for the matter I've just described. Since Merrick Garland made that announcement, lawyers for the president admitted to finding yet more classified documents in Joe Biden's personal library at that same place. So that's the sequence of events. Why don't you just walk through the meaning of this term special counsel? Because that phrase, special counsel, is another feature uh, in the lexicon of the full-blown Washington scandal. A special counsel is someone who is brought in from outside the department to manage a complex investigation that has either been generated as a result of a conflict that the Justice Department has or some extraordinary circumstance the department thinks warrants having someone quasi sort of independent coming in. That person still reports to the attorney general, provides recommendations, including proposed charges to the attorney general. And the attorney general does have the opportunity to agree or disagree with those proposals if the attorney general decides not to take a proposal that has been made to him by the special counsel that has to be reported to Congress. So Congress would become aware of that. And the precedent people will have in their minds, and this will potentially chill the blood of Team Biden, the famous one is the as serving in that function was Kenneth Starr, Ken Starr, who investigated Bill Clinton back in the 1990s. Dan, this report accuses the president of lying, obstruction of justice, tampering with witnesses before the grand jury. In the view of the independent counsel, it all grows out of the president's relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Triggering a series of events that would eventually lead to Bill Clinton's impeachment, though not his removal from office. So that's the sort of model. What about Robert Hur? What do we know about uh, his politics and well, and, and his sort of provenance as a senior uh, legal figure. Robert Hur is a conservative lawyer. 
uh, with affiliations with the Federal Society and other conservative lawyers. He worked with Chris Ray, that director of the FBI, in, in, in over the course of his career. And most notably, he was a U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland, which is just the state of Maryland, um, during the Trump administration. So he was a Trump political appointee. I don't place him in the same category as Ken Starr. You know, her ran his office well. And I had actually had some dealings with with that office and, and worked with them on some cases while I was a prosecutor. There weren't reports of unprofessionalism or lack of ethics or anything like that. Ken Starr was a, a, a very strange and different animal. I mean, he was a well-known sort of partisan figure and he staffed his office with rising partisan lawyers, some of whom would go on to go hold uh, very important positions in Washington, including Brett Kavanaugh, who's now on the Supreme Court. You know, for her, you know, I, I would expect something uh, more professional from him, just given his track record. But, you know, all of these people, when they come into these roles, they, they're, they're sort of enigmatic. And we tend to project on them our hopes and, our, and in some, uh, some ways, like sort of our, our prejudices and, and preferences for the outcome. At the end of the day, you know, what we're going to learn from him will be, uh, that'll be most telling is what he produces, whether that's in the in the form of indictments against people. He can't indict Joe Biden because there's a policy against the department indicting uh, a sitting president or a report that he releases or provides to the attorney general that becomes uh, available to the public. I mean, this is one of those, uh, how long is a piece of string questions, but how long is Robert Hur likely to take to do this? I mean, is it, you know, a short, straightforward thing that will take a few weeks or... And this goes back to, in a way, the Ken Starr president. Is there a risk that once he starts, once you start pulling at a little thread, you can, this thing can go on longer and longer? And again, in the Ken Starr case, people, I think, forget that he was originally put in, uh, you know, I was in Washington at the time covering this story, with to put in to cover Whitewater and the death of uh, White House lawyer Vince Foster, ends up grilling Monica Lewinsky and asking a sitting president whether he had had sex with an intern, these investigations can sprawl. Is there a risk of that in this case, do you think? Certainly that risk exists. How, how pronounced it is, um, you know, it's hard to say. If Biden and his lawyers were to be, you know, continue to cooperate, and if the facts don't sort of unfold in a way that reveal, you know, provides any real surprises, I would think an investigation like this, you could conceivably conclude in a few months. I mean, bear in mind, he does have to get staffed up. He does have to have an office. He has to do things the right way. So even if everything sort of broke the right way for Biden, factually speaking, I think we'd be still looking at a months-long endeavor. If, you know, this investigation kind of, you know, moves into more thorny territory and, and it looks like it could delve into more complex matters, you're absolutely right. It could extend longer. But um, I hope... You know, as I said earlier, I hope Robert Hur learned the lesson of Ken Starr, which is that is not a good or politically productive thing to be doing unless the facts really warrant it. Whatever the outcome and whenever we get it, of course, all of this has been an absolute field day for Republicans. They are loving it. Uh, none more perhaps than Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who wasted no time at all in jumping in. Another faux pas by the Biden administration, but treating law differently based upon your political beliefs. Treats one President Trump one way, but treats President Biden a whole different way. And the point of contrast for Republicans that they are trying to make some capital from is that, of course, famously, in when the boot was on the other foot and it was Donald Trump, so they say the FBI mounted that raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago 
home you know very visual very dramatic scenes as if somehow you know it's been a bit sort of much more gentle treatment with Joe Biden. In both cases, the appointment of a special counsel. So there is that kind of partisan symmetry that you were speaking of earlier. And in both cases, both men at the centre of it deny any wrongdoing. From your perspective, though, how do the two compare? Do you see the symmetry there that in some ways, Republicans are very keen to suggest is there? Look, I, I got to be honest, when I hear people like Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan and, and congressional Republicans railing about this, I have a very hard time taking any of it seriously. They didn't care one bit about Donald Trump, about the months of stonewalling. And Trump brought that search, you can call it a raid if you like, upon himself, him and his lawyers. Thus far, at least, based on what we know, Biden and his lawyers have acted much better than Trump and his lawyers did. And, you know, not for nothing, you know, all of these people, McCarthy, Jordan or whatever, they were planning to mount this offensive from uh, their House committees, regardless of, of whether or not this document thing was going to unfold. They were they had the Justice Department in its sights. They were planning to, you know, launch this weaponization of government committee or whatever. And these people aren't serious. They're not serious even about law enforcement abuses. They don't care. What they care about are law enforcement abuses that they think hurt Trump and conservatives politically. And some of these people, I mean, look, Kevin McCarthy is openly regarded as one of the stupidest people in Washington. So at the moment, you know, there's obvious a superficial similarity. And I don't want to just write it off by, by just using the word superficial even. But the facts that kind of emanate out from it so far are quite different. And, and those are facts that are important to federal prosecutors in the ordinary course in terms of assessing the culpability of, of someone. And let me just point out again here, because I think this, this has gotten lost in a lot of the coverage. The Justice Department is not going to be indicting Joe Biden. He's the sitting president. The department has a longstanding policy against indicting a sitting president, one that Donald Trump was the beneficiary of during his presidency. Yes, indeed, because when there was the Robert Mueller investigation into collusion with Russia and potential obstruction, he said from the start, you know, this can't, or in the, in his report, this can't end in indictment just because that's the principle that the Justice Department observes. Correct. And so that actually make, makes this decision-making process for Garland a little trickier, potentially, than I think people have realized. Because you know, Garland is fond of saying that he, you know, the rule of law is the sort of his guiding principle and says, you know, there's not, there shouldn't be, there isn't one rule for Democrats and one rule for Republicans. In this case, there actually is <laughs> uh, <laughs> one rule for a Democrat and one rule for a Republican that is very different. And in terms of whether or not in the extreme, either of these two gentlemen can even be indicted under DOJ policy. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense to me that Merrick Garland we should say, is going to be the ultimate arbiter of this. There's Robert Hur with this job of gathering the evidence. But as you told us, he's going to just simply, in effect, hand his file to uh, the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, to make the decision. And that was already such a tricky, loaded question, uh, whether or not he should prosecute Donald Trump. If he doesn't, then in effect, he's sort of saying that some people are above the law. But if he does, there's a whole body of people, perhaps 40% of the American uh, electorate who would believe somehow it was a political witch hunt. I mean, I was really struck by one fact that we came across here, which is that since the Carter era, Jimmy Carter in the 70s, only Barack Obama has managed to go through a presidency without having a special counsel or equivalent look at his administration. I mean, that is an astonishing fact. 
These investigations can, you know, spell grave trouble for a president. The famous case, of course, being Bill Clinton, who was impeached. And in other cases, they can just sort of sputter out and get forgotten, except by political and perhaps legal nerds. So on that spectrum, uh, Ankush, where do you think this probe lands for Joe Biden? How serious will it be for him? Or does it just lead to a vague sense of distrust in a climate where Americans already pretty uh, much distrust their politicians? Does this just mean yet more cynicism as we go into a presidential election in 2024? When Donald Trump's home was searched last August, a couple of weeks after he started this lawsuit in Florida in front of a judge that he had appointed, managed to get a special master appointed that seemed to throw a wrench in the Justice Department's investigation. There was months of hand-wringing and anxiety among Democrats about what's going on here. Is this going to mess up the case or delay it? And lo and behold, by the end of the year, the department had persuaded an appeals court to effectively throw Trump's case out. There are a lot of episodes like this in the in the sweep of legal troubles and questions about whether or not Donald Trump should be prosecuted, which we're now, I think, into year seven of these questions. And sometimes those questions kind of uh, develop into things that are much more serious and that we have to attend to in a very, very serious way. Something like claims of election fraud that eventually resulted in January 6th. Sometimes those things kind of Uh, appear to be beneficial to Donald Trump and then kind of sputter out and become nothing. One of the things that I have taken away from following this, you know, as a, just as as an American, but also thinking and writing about it for the last couple of years, is you really have to keep your view of the range of possibilities pretty, pretty wide and keep an open mind until sort of things play out. Ankush, we always like to ask a what else question of our guests on this podcast, asking about something completely different. In this case, I wanted to ask you about the Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who has had quite the week because on Monday, the rapper Dr. Dre successfully blocked the congresswoman from using his music in any context, campaigning or otherwise, to do with her political career after she used his hit Still Dre to soundtrack a video of hers. But then we got reports this week that she had got into a shouting match, maybe even a screaming match with her colleague and former close ally and pal Lauren Bobert, fellow congresswoman, in a Capitol Hill bathroom right there in Congress. I mean, that should shed a light on the uh, on what seems to be a split in that part of the hard right of the Republican Party. It did play out a bit with the election of Kevin McCarthy. Marjorie Taylor Greene was for him. Lauren Boebert was against him. What do you think are, besides the sheer sort of clickbait appeal of this story, what do you think the long term ramifications, if there are, you know, of this break on the hard right, will be? I think in terms of political analysis, I think, you know, a lot of people have correctly observed that the fact that Kevin McCarthy holds such a slim majority means that these people are going to be able to and already have exerted significant influence on the position of of the Republican conference in the House and may be able to pull in serious ways some of the investigations and quote unquote policymaking, what it passes for policymaking among House Republicans. Um, The interesting thing about that is obviously Marjorie Taylor Greene herself is very, very right. Politically, I'm not sure how different her views are from Lauren, Lauren Boebert's. I will say, as someone who you know watches this stuff or whatever and follows it closely, these are also a bunch of morons. And 
I hold them in very, very low regard. And it really pains me to see them exerting any sort of influence in Washington. And so we can and should have our fun with them. But every time I hear about these people, I'm just pulled back to the fact that I just, I can't believe they hold any political power. Now tell us what you really think. Ankush Kadori, <laughs> thanks so much for being so candid uh, and illuminating. Thanks for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you for having me. And that's all from me for this week. After a rather intense few days in Westminster, do make sure to listen to Thursday's episode of Politics Weekly UK as my colleagues John Harris, Libby Brooks and Pippa Crera discuss the government's decision to block Scotland's gender reform bill. And John also heads out to speak with some striking nurses. So look for that wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, and the executive producer this week was Max Sanderson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.